morning, Overlake. Good to see everybody. Guys, I went with shorts today. Hopefully that's okay. Mike's out of town, so I figured, you know, I'll just ask for forgiveness. So uh, there it is. Well, guys, I'm Pat. I'm one of the pastors on the team here, and welcome to week two. Week two of the Summer of Connection as we're walking through this series. Uh, I'm just curious if everyone can just do this to me right now. Just give me a, 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 a all 10. Uh, good. It looks like everyone made it out of the fireworks with all 10 fingers. That's always, that's always good. Uh, we, we were up in Bothell, and I got to say, you guys in Bothell are crazy. It, it turned, anybody live in Bothell in here? Yes, there, there has to be a legion of angels that just protect that place on the 4th. It is, it is warfare up there. It is, it is absolutely crazy, mayhem. Uh, does anyone have a sunburn yet already? I mean, fresh into the year? Yeah, totally. I, I ended up with sunburn this last week. Anybody gone camping yet? Anybody? You gone? Oh, wow, a lot of you. Right on. Yeah, we went out last week. This is a, a picture. Went on a hike. This was with my family. Little, oh, just, just Leah, little sailor in the backpack there. And, uh, and then Romeo doesn't always pose well for pictures, so you got to kind of help the little guy. But uh, sailor's a big fan of camping, and uh, almost as much as our dog. But well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through a story that Jesus told, and that's what we're doing all summer long. If you're just joining us for the first time, uh, what, what we're big on is just Jesus. You'll hear that name a lot. You'll hear us singing to him a lot. You'll hear us talking about him a lot. And so we are going to take this whole summer and just unpack different stories that he told in his ministry. And so if you want to follow along, we'll be in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, you can follow. It's in your message notes if you want to grab those. If you want to follow along in a Bible in the seat back in front of you, feel free to take that, use that. And, and if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. You get a leaf here with that one. So, so Luke chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 1 because verse 1 is always a good place to start. So here we go. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners. I love that word notorious. I feel like we're talking about a rapper or something. Okay. Other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even, can you imagine it, eating with them? Oh, no, you don't want to do that. So Luke, he's teeing us up with a little bit of the context of what's going on. And, and it's a large gathering. There's a kind of an audience that's gathered. But there's two subgroups that he kind of uh, talks about here. One is the tax collectors, the notorious sinners. And one are the Pharisees, kind of the, the religious teachers, the religious crowd. And you'll kind of notice as Jesus tells this story that it impacts both in different ways and in unique ways. And so we continue, or, or before we continue, I should say, we're going to skip to verse 11. And, and the reason why is Jesus kind of starts, he, he kind of starts with a few softballs. He kind of, he kind of gets a, just a couple little stories out. First one he tells is a shepherd that has a flock of 100 sheep. One goes missing. The shepherd leaves the 99 and goes to rescue the one and rejoices and celebrates and gathers with friends and neighbors to celebrate that the lost is found. And then the next story, right on the heels of that one, he says that there's a woman with 10 coins and she lost one of them. And so she lights a lamp and she just goes throughout 
all the house, just every nook and cranny, every shadow, everywhere, all, all, all night long. She's searching for this coin until she finds it, and then she throws a party because what is lost is found. So he kind of teased things up with this, this lost is found type of theme, and, and that people uh, that, that really care about something, they go out, they, they search for it, and they find it, they throw a big party. So we get to verse 11, and here's where Jesus goes in this third story. It's kind of the climactic finish of this series, this little teaching mini-series he's doing. Verse 11, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. And he starts out, he says, a man had two sons. I'm going to hit pause right there because the story we're about to read has come to be titled the story of the prodigal son. That's not the title Jesus ever gave it. He actually teased it up saying, this is the story of two sons. A, a man has two sons. So a better title would be the story of two sons, or as we will come to find out, and as you'll notice maybe in your message notes, is, is we're, we're titling this the story of two lost sons. There's not just one, but it's both. And it impacts, again, this, this listening audience really, really powerfully. So it continues, verse 12, the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. If you know anything at this time, and even now still, you, inheritance is only divided upon the death. And in, in, in this uh, case, only the death of the patriarch, the father. This younger son, the younger sibling, he comes up to his dad and he says, I want what is going to be mine when you die, not when you die, but right now. He's telling his dad, you're worth more to me dead than alive. I'd rather have your riches than a relationship with you. And this would have shocked everyone hearing this story. No one would do that. But what's even more shocking, as we've come to read already, is that the father actually acquiesces. He does. He actually goes through the trouble of liquidating a third of the assets. That's what the younger sibling would have got. Older siblings, congratulations, you would have got two-thirds 2,000 years ago. Uh, but the younger sibling gets a third. The dad goes through all this craziness of liquidating some land, some livestock, all the, the whole bit to give this young son, his youngest son, what is owed him, what his inheritance is. It continues, a few days later, this younger son packed up all his belongings and moved to Las Vegas. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. He gambles, he spends, he gives in to every temptation imaginable. He hits every show there is. He's calling room service constantly. He just lives big, lives large, he just wastes it all. He goes crazy, wild living. Just curious, but who in here is the youngest sibling? Okay, okay. Keep, keep our eyes on these ones, guys. Keep our eyes on these ones. <laughs> Verse 14, about the time his money ran out, I mean, it doesn't grow on trees. There's going to be a point in time where you spent all you got. About the time his money ran out, the bummer is, a great recession, a famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs, pigs looked so good to him, but no one gave him anything. So he's broke, not a penny to his name. He's destitute, poor, homeless, starving. 
Just a week ago, the dude's living in some penthouse suite calling room service, and now he finds himself having to persuade, the word persuade's in there, he persuades a local farmer to take him on as essentially a hired servant to go and just shovel kind of the, the, the slop to the pigs. Here's a good Jewish boy that is now his best company, his closest company are unclean animals, and he's serving the animals. He's at the lowest of the low. It gets so bad that it says that what he's feeding them, these, these, these pods that he's feeding them, this slop, it begins to look actually appealing to him. He's that hungry. Uh, a, a couple weeks ago, might have been about a month ago now, I caught Sailor uh, kind of getting into a little bit of Romeo's dog food, kind of doing the little dog food thing. Anybody had a kid that eat, at, ate the dog food? Yeah, totally. Yeah. At first it's gross, then you're like, time out, time out. I need some, some evidence that this happened so that when they're a grown teenager thinking their poop don't stink and they're all cool, you can remind them like, oh, oh, you ate dog food. Come on, on your own volition. Like, but Ro so, so here's Sailor eating, chowing on Romeo's dog food and it's just making me gag. And, and you compare that child that knows nothing to here's a grown man. Here's a grown man who is willing, who is so hungry, I don't know if we can even fathom that, that he's willing to eat the food of pigs. And so we continue. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned both against heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he comes to his senses. He hits rock bottom, lowest of the low. And what starts to come to mind is all the faces of the servants that he grew up around that he always viewed as second-class citizens, as this privileged child, you know, and, and, and he looked down upon. And now he's realizing each and every one of them are better off than the state of life that I'm in. At least they're not hungry. They have more than enough food to eat. Here I am, hungry, starving, not even doing as well as my father's hired servants. Maybe if I was able to convince this local farmer to take me on as a hired hand, I can go back home and plead to my dad, Dad, I recognize I'm no longer your son. I'm, I, I, know, I know I'm dead to you. I'm the disgrace of you, of, of the whole community. And, and yet, would you be willing to take me on as a hired servant? And I will work for you. And perhaps just so slowly over time, as I earn my wages, I can at least pay back some, some of what I really stole from you. And so he's thinking of this as this plan. And that's what he does. It says, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with anger and judgment. Oh, oh no, no. Hopefully, ho hopefully your Bible doesn't read that way. I fear some Christians uh, have Bibles that are, that are uh, unfortunately edited there. Filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. So imagine being this young boy coming, walking for days perhaps. He was in a distant land, walking for days. And, and if you've ever had a tough conversation you know you're about to have, how many of you, you're reciting it? You're just going through the whole thing. What do I say when they respond? What do I say to that? 
do I talk loud? Do I talk kind of soft? Like, you know, like just, you're, you're thinking through just everything and every, every scenario possible and, and you're rehearsing it. And so here comes this boy and to his surprise, his dad greets him, embraces him, kisses him, holds him. And his, he's reciting this apology that he's worked on, that he's polished. It's all ready. He gets interrupted. His dad cuts him off. It says when he, it says, uh, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Whose robe would be the finest in the house? The dad's. Dad's saying, you go and you grab the nicest tuxedo you ever saw and you bring it out and you put it on this boy. Quick, bring out the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. I want this boy. I want everyone to know that this boy is still my son. He was always my son, but this ring will be proof. And kill the calf. I love that it's simply the calf. Like everybody knows the calf. Kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead... And now has returned to life. He was lost and now is found. So the party began. There's a robe. There's a ring. There's a fattened calf. There's a party. There's music. The way I picture it is like in a Bollywood film. The the colors, the the synchronized dancing, the music, the feast, the smells. It's, it's, It's awesome. It's just a happy ending. The wayward son, he comes home. He's embraced. It's a story of love, of forgiveness. Everybody's partying. Happy, happy ending. Although, it's a story of two sons. It's a story of two sons. And so Jesus isn't done. It continues. And you can almost hear, you can almost sense like the audience just leans in a little bit. Like, well, well what happens next? And, and the way I picture it is like the camera pans from like this party scene to the older brother. It kind of pans over. And here's what it says. Meanwhile, the older brother was in the fields working. Oh, that good old firstborn work ethic. Who's the firstborn? Who's the oldest? Oh, yeah. Oh, you guys are perfect. I know. I know you guys work so hard. You got it all. Just big time parent pleaser. Always out in the fields working. Barely made time for church. But man, you were here on time, weren't you? You know, like, wow. Amazing. It continues. When he returned home after a long 60-hour work week, you know, just helping everyone, picking up other people's work, of course. But when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what was going on? Your brother is back, he was told. And your, fun has ki- and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. This older brother's thinking two things. One, wait, my brother is back. And then two, my dad killed the calf, like the fattened calf, like that cow, the fat calf. Disbelief. So what happens? It says the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. So his father, his dad has to come out. He's having a grown man temper tantrum. He's staying outside the party. His father came out and begged him. His, 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 just picture this, this loving father begging the older sibling to come in. He begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you. Slaved for you. 
and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never, ever gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, time out, he ain't my bro. This son of yours, remember? Yeah, he's yours. When he comes back from squandering your money on prostitutes, he just goes for it. He doesn't say wild living. He just lays it out there. Dad, you know what happens in Vegas. It don't just stay in Vegas. Like, <laughs> and you celebrate by killing the fattened calf, the fat calf, Dad. I feed that thing three times a day. It eats more than I do. And you just kill it, just willy-nilly, because your, your wayward son comes home. Your son comes home. Can you sense just the anger, the frustration, the resentment, the disappointment? He's in not just disbelief. He is actually, he, he, he's kind of cutting his dad down here a little bit, right? He's telling his own dad, you're crazy. You are a crazy old man. And the father responds, and you have, to, you have to picture this father of love even saying these words with a loving posture. And his father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed with me. And everything I have is yours. It is. It literally is. Everything that was the younger son was gone. It was already given. Everything on that land, every, every cow, every goat, every home, every storage house filled with grain, it was. It was all the older siblings. But we had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now is found. So everyone's leaning in. Oh, this story's a good one, man. What's going to happen? His older son kind of go in arm in arm with the dad into the party and, you know, kind of hit the moonwalk a little bit, kind of cuts the rug, kind of, you know, he's, he, he's a good dancer, I'm sure. You know, the firstborn, you know, he's like perfecting things in private in his own like, quarters there. But, but does he go in? Does he dance? Does he feast? Does he enjoy that fattened calf that he clearly enjoys so much? I mean, the calf has kind of a primary role. It shows up three times in the story. Like, clearly it mattered a lot to this elder son. Or does he just stay where he is? Is he just so frustrated? Just, his dad's clearly not listening, doesn't even get it. And is, is he just so stuck up in, in, in his own thought, his own self-righteousness, that he just, he just removes himself? He just sits there and sulks. Just, he just has to listen to the beating of the kind of drums and trumpets and flutes and everything behind him as he just is turned in on himself. What's he do? So in the next verse... It's over. It's over. Jesus is freaking brilliant. He stops the story. All these religious people are left having to wrestle with, oh, oh, oh gosh, that hits close to home. Like, so you're wanting this story? You wanted me to wrestle with this a little bit at a heart level. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. So all the notorious sinners and tax collectors, they quickly, you know, connect with the younger brother. They get a party. Like, they're partying. In their minds, maybe they didn't even hear the whole second half of the story. You know, they're just like, yes, the fattened calf, the ring, the robe, woo, you know. 
But those that identify with the older brother are left just wrestling. And it's the brilliance of Jesus' teaching. And I'm sure even in the last 10 minutes as we've just walked through that short story, that there's even some internal things that are happening in our own hearts and our own minds. Every time I read this story, there's something new that just sticks out to me. There's something new that almost kind of hits me. And perhaps it's the same for you. For some of you that have heard this story dozens and dozens of times. But Jesus' teaching is rich. It's filled with life, with meaning. And every season of our faith journey, a story like this, somehow has a way of recalibrating our hearts more into alignment with the Father in the story. So what I want to do is I actually want to break the story up into two entire weeks. Today, we're just going to focus on lessons from the older brother and younger brother. That's all we have time for. Next week, it would be remiss of me to leave out the father, the good father in this story, because there's so much that we can understand who God is by looking at who this father is. And it is a deep, deep well that we have to get to. So that'll be next week. But this morning, I just want to hit two quick thoughts, a couple brief things. One, a lesson from the older brother. One, a lesson from the younger brother. We'll start with the younger brother. So the lesson we get from the younger brother is this. The younger brother teaches us home is the best place to be. Home is the best place to be. Wild living is fun. For a while. Or no one would do it, right? Like, like Vegas is not like glitzy and amazing and all built out and always like growing and stuff. Like because it's just boring. Like, no. There's something exciting about living a little dangerous. And yet there's an underbelly to it as well. You see, what happens is that you can become the master of yourself. To use churchy terms, the Lord. You kind of become the Lord of yourself. You listen to what you want to do, and then that's how you live into your life. So you just begin to give in to the different desires, the different inklings, the different things that that you'd like to do, because it's what you want to do, and you are our Lord. You become this person who kind of takes on a little bit of this attitude of things such as these, and you become not just the master, but if you think about it, kind of paradoxically, also the slave. Like it's this, this strange kind of war that's, that ensues. But you take on an attitude or thought such as this, that I'll do what I want when I want to. I'll marry whoever I'd like. I'll divorce them whenever I please. I'll put in my body whatever I choose. I'll spend my time, talent, money on whatever fancies me. I'll wear shorts on stage if I so choose. I w- oh, oh gosh. Uh, See, guys, the story just ministers to all of us. Uh, But you begin to think that way because there's these different paradigms that have gotten structured over time, such as this. How dare my rights and freedoms be infringed upon by others? I'm an independent, self-sufficient, self-actualized person. I'm on a journey of self-discovery to become a better version of me for myself. It's a journey of self-discovery until it leads to a place where you're lonely, you're hurting, you're addicted, you're confused, you're afraid, you're broke, you're lost. And in this strange turn, and society is great at this. If you guys watch uh, some of the news, it's just so interesting how this can happen so quickly. But those people that have so bought into the very values that have been propped up, 
that have kind of begun to, to form these lives and these minds and behaviors, once they hit that place, now they become an outcast. Now they're distanced. Now it's no good to them. And here's the good news for the outcasts, is Jesus loves the outcasts, and vice versa. Verse 1, remember? The tax collectors and notorious sinners, they often, they often came to Jesus. They were so just inspired by his teaching. It filled him with hope. It filled them with life. It filled them with, with a sense of purpose, with a future. And this isn't just a one-off thing. You see these stories play out. I just picked three of them if you want to kind of study further. But Luke 7, Jesus meets a religious person and a sexual outcast. And you can see the dynamic there. Which one's offended and which one is wooed by the love of Jesus? Luke 19, Jesus meets a religious person and a political outcast. Similar thing. The outcast is amazed at the love of the teaching of Jesus. John 3 and 4, Jesus meets a religious person and a racial outcast. Jesus has a heart for the outcast. And so if you're lost, it's simply this. Come home. The best place to be is home. And the reason why is because, only because, that's where your father is. That's where the love of your father is. When you look at who God describes himself as in his word, both in the Bible, but also in the life of Christ, the word of God, it's love. That God is love. Home is a place is the best place, is the only place to be where life is full and abundant and right. And you're not the Lord of yourself, thankfully. You have someone far better that you get to live for than yourself. But the best place to be is home. And that's what we learned from the younger brother. Amen. The older brother. The older brother. He teaches us, you can be home and still lost. That's the crazy thing in this story. That is the mind-blowing thing in this story. Jesus redefined sin for the religious elite of that day that had never done anything wrong. They were always following the laws. They wouldn't take more steps than they were supposed to on the Sabbath. The whole bit. He redefines the whole dynamic here. But because he's showing that you could still be home. You could still be in the, the, the kind of the presence of your father, kind of on the same zip code. You can go to church every single week. You can pray five times a day. You can give a double tithe. Good for you. You can harmonize with every worship song. I don't even know what that means, but it's something people can do. You serve on every ministry team. Oh, all-star. Amazing. And you could still be lost. You could still be lost. We had this sign in our home growing up, um, or home decor, not like a, well, it was a sign. I don't know how to describe these things, but all it said was, home is where the heart is. Anybody ever seen that? You guys have that one? Yeah. Oh, it's so cute, isn't it? It's just, it's just such a good phrase. Kind of like a little alliteration there, just kind of, you know, it's, it's good stuff. <laughs> it made me think that, how is it that this older boy could be home, and yet his father is so unlike how he's ended up? One's overjoyed at the return of a younger son. The other one is refusing to go in, angry. One's willing to sacrifice his own reputation. He could care less how the community would talk about him. He's fine to welcome him in. The other one 
is wagging his finger at the decision of his father. One throws a party, the other one throws a protest. I ain't going to do that. And these type of protests, they've, they've been happening for 2,000 years, probably even longer. How many Thanksgiving meals are just ruined by these kind of protests, you know? Like, oh, so-and-so's coming? Count us out. Or they actually show up, everyone's at the dinner table, someone walks in the front door, and you're like, uh-uh, nope, hashtag resist, I'm out, I don't do this, you know? Like, think of it. Think of this older sibling and the dynamic that he has and how he's so unlike his father. What Jesus is doing is he's showing that sin is not just about breaking the rules or kind of living morally. Sin is putting, your, putting yourself in the place of master. Sin is putting yourself in the place of God, of Lord. And we see how the younger son does this easily. It's super easy to see how he does it. He just runs off with the wealth and squanders it all. It's a little, it takes a little bit more kind of a, a attention to look at how the elder son does this. He does it through strict moral living. That's how he is in this endeavor to become kind of this controlling one, this master, this God, this Lord who knows right. And it comes to its own climax when he is now accusing his father of his father's decisions with his father's own stuff. Dad, what are you doing with the ring? What are you doing with the robe? What are you doing with the livestock? Here's the elder brother who's so turned in on himself because he's lived so well that he's actually so distant now from the very heart of who his dad is. Think of how sad that is. And it happens. That's the danger of religion. Seeking to live into some way so that you can somehow kind of pull the levers in other people's lives or even in God's life. You can tell him what's right and him what's wrong. And underneath the obedience is the expectation that it'll serve as a control to serve and to control others. If you're like the older brother, you seek to control through your obedience. Then all your morality is just a way to make him give you the things in life you really want, which is what the younger brother was accused of. You can be home and still be lost. You become so self-righteous. You're so good that you don't even need God and his grace. In fact, you're so good, you can tell others who's right and who's wrong, who can marry who, when a divorce is legitimate, what people can and can't have in their bodies, how others should spend their time, talent, and money. You have the answers to deep theological questions like, is it okay to preach in shorts? (laughs) To put it in churchy terms, you become Lord. You become the one who's in control, and that's what you desire because it's a way for others, even God, to somehow serve you. Home is the best place to be, not because it's home, but because it's where the Father is. It's all about relationship. It's not geography. It's not an address. It's not a building. It's a person. It's a relationship. And to you, to all of you, to myself included, it's the same invitation that we get from this story. And it's the last fill-in, if you do want to take notes here. It's simply, come home and come party. Don't just be at home and live on the outskirts, judging others. Be in the mix. Be in the party. 
enjoy the celebration. The celebration's happening because the younger son was not just lost and now is found, although that's partly repeated twice there, but was dead and now is alive. We gather every week because we come to celebrate. What was dead is now alive. If you leave Sundays without a realization that you were dead and now you're alive, if for those of you that are Jesus followers, then you missed You missed an opportunity to celebrate. You missed this special gathering that's supposed to remind us all. If you come on Sundays and somehow you actually leave more kind of kind of hurt, some some something happened or what what someone was doing there or how 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 that song sounded or, 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 or those shorts or you know whatever it is, like you missed the opportunity to celebrate. So what I'd love to do now is invite everyone to stand because we have much to celebrate. Out of everyone alive on this planet, Jesus followers have the most to celebrate because it's not even just an individual thing. This is not just I praise God because I was dead and now I'm alive. That is a very small part of it. Look around. Look how much life is in this room. This world we walk through, the parks you enjoy, everything, anything that's dying, Jesus will come to make new. We are a people of great hope. That's right. Amen. Amen. So what I'd love to do is ask you to raise your faces heavenward. I think there's a posture in this of kind of being reminded that our eyes are to be lifted up, not downcast, but as people with life and with hope. And close your eyes as I pray, and then let's celebrate and let's worship this God who is God of reckless love. Lord, we are so thankful for you. And I'm actually, I'm, I'm just kind of bumming that next week's not this week because I'm so excited to further get to know your heart by looking once again at this story. But Lord, I pray for every person that identifies with the younger brother or the older brother or somewhere in between or a mix of the two, Oh, Lord, would we see you even now as our, as our, as our gaze is heavenward, as would we see you embracing us, running out to us, rescuing us, having a crazy amount of reckless love for us. Well, we love you so much. Would you show us what it means to celebrate, to celebrate what was dead is now alive. We want to be people that look like our fathers. 